Welcome home. My name is Matthew Scott. I'm one of the pastors here. It's a pleasure to be with you all. Here now, a reading of Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I was a child, I would wake up early in the morning. I always needed a lot less sleep than my siblings. And so I would come downstairs, and my mom would also be awake. And in our house, there was a couch that faced the backside of our house, and there was a large window that looked over the backyard. And my mom and I would sit on the couch, and we would watch as the day began. Slowly, the sun would rise. And the day would start, and the birds would sing, and life would emerge in our yard and in the world. And in all that, everything seemed possible. The possibilities seemed limitless. I always love that time of the morning when things are quiet and still and have yet to be done. And I never really seemed to like the dark. I remember as a young child, one of my chores was to take out the trash. And so you'd bag up the trash from the kitchen, tie it off, and then walk it out the back of the house through the dark garage, which could have any number of critters rolling around and seeking out different things, to the place where we would store our trash. There wasn't much light back there. And the trash cans were probably about as tall as I was at the time. And they stood on a stand. So you had to reach up to manage to get the lid off the trash can 
and then sling this heavy bag up, trying to aim it so it dropped into the trash can. Behind me was a driveway that led to bushes, which protected a dark alley, which I'm sure lurked all kinds of trouble that could harm me. I found it ironic as a young child that in order to get the trash up into the trash can, I had to turn my back to the alley, which seemed like a horrible thing with lots of danger. I always wondered why the adults didn't do it. They were tall enough. They were able to brave the darkness and carry that heavy load. Friends, the last time I was with you was four months ago. In mid-March, I preached here in the CLC, and it was the first Sunday of COVID, the first Sunday of shutdown, the first time that the CLC sat empty of our fellow church family members, and we learned to worship online together. It was about that time that we had to close the church, and soon to follow, schools would close down. And we would all learn to live into this new reality and adapt to what life has become. Many of us have lost jobs. Many of us are learning to do school or work online. Parents are learning to manage children and work and home life all together. For me, my parents moved to Baltimore to take care of my brother's child And my wife was still going to work, so I was at home with the baby and a full-time job. I I became very attuned to the needs of my child, and she and I have gotten to know each other better than we probably ever imagined. But most of us, our lives have changed. The time together has been wearing. We don't have that release to go out into the world to take a break Many of us, when we get time off, can't even go and do the things we used to do. And it is frustrating, and it is difficult, and it is stressful. And yet, in the midst of this difficult time, we slow down and can hear the voice of God speaking. When I go down to the depths, you are there. Even the darkness will not be as dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Friends, I would offer that in this time, we are all learning to walk in the dark. One of my favorite authors, Barbara Brown Taylor, has written a book entitled Learning to Walk in the Dark. And in this delightful book, Taylor offers a positive take on darkness and speaks actually to its many benefits. She writes, even when light fades and darkness falls, as it does every single day in every single life, God does not turn the world over to some other deity. Even when you cannot see where you are going and no one answers when you call, this is not sufficient proof that you are alone. Darkness is not dark to God. The night is as bright as the day. At one point, Taylor asks, if we turn away from the darkness on principle, doing everything we can to avoid it because there is no telling what it contains, isn't there a chance that what we are running from is God? 
Since many biblical characters and the saints that have followed them found or encountered God in the darkness, we might in fact miss encountering the divine presence if we avoid the darkness at all cost. I hope that you'll think about the next time you look up into the night sky or find yourself enveloped by the absence of light, that there in the midst of this, you might actually find God. Reverend Tim Hughes Williams, who serves as a pastor of Brown Memorial Park Avenue, a Presbyterian church, not on Fifth Avenue in New York City, but in Baltimore, actually a few houses down from where my brother lives, writes about the use of the word darkness in the Bible. Williams outlines that it appears frequently and with an almost universally negative association. Think of John 1, verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness not, has not overcome it. Again and again, the Bible associates the word darkness with evil, sin, or the absence of God. But Barbara Brown Taylor points out that when you look at how darkness actually functions in stories, it is a much more nuanced picture. For example, in the beginning of all this that begun... There was nothing but God and the dark in Genesis 1. It was almost like the raw material of everything that came after it. And then God leads Abraham out into the darkness so he can overlook heavenward and admire the stars in Genesis 15. And then there's the day that Jacob becomes Israel, one who struggles with God. He spends the entire night wrestling with a stranger that finally blesses him in the darkness, in Genesis 32. In the book of Exodus, God comes to meet Moses in the desert in the form of a dark cloud. And when Moses wants to speak with God, he approaches the dark place where God resides, in Exodus 20. Jesus is born while shepherds watch their flocks by night, and the angels who sang Hosanna in the highest were flying around in the dark, no wonder they had to remind everyone not to be afraid. And then, of course, there is the darkness of the empty tomb. All of this suggests that when the Bible uses the word darkness, it is using a very specific meaning, but the stories are very different. Barbara Brown Taylor's definition of darkness is, everything I do not know, I cannot see or am afraid of. But if we take the stories of the Bible seriously, we see that the darkness is also where God dwells. Listen again to these words from Psalm 139. It's the description of a God who is everywhere and in everything. A God we cannot run, run away from because he is already there. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. Even the darkness is not dark to you. Even in the darkness, God is there. I think sometimes that God enters this delicate balance between darkness and light simply because that is where we live. 
And God wants to be where we are. Not to leave us there, of course, but to meet us there in the midst of it. Richard Rohr writes about darkness, saying, Not knowing or uncertainty is a kind of darkness that many people find unbearable. Those who demand certitude out of life will insist on it even if it doesn't fit the facts. Logic and truth have nothing to do with it. If you require certitude, you will surround yourself with your own conclusions and dismiss or ignore any evidence to the contrary. The very meaning of faith stands in stark contrast to this mindset. We have to live in exquisite, terrible humility before reality. In this space, God gives us a spirit of questing, a desire for understanding, and in some ways is like learning to see in the dark. We can't be certain of what's in front of us, but with some time and patience, our eyes adjust and we can make the right next move. The gospel doesn't promise us complete certainty or clarity. The scriptures do not offer rational certitude. They offer us something much better, an entirely different way of knowing, an intimate relationship, a dark journey, a path where we must discover for ourselves that grace, love, mercy, and forgiveness are absolutely necessary for survival in an uncertain world. You only need enough clarity to know how to live without certitude. Yes, we really are saved by faith. People who live in this way never stop growing, are not easily defeated, are wise and compassionate, and frankly, are fun to live with. They have a quiet and confident joy, whereas infantile religion insists on certainty every step of the way. And thus, is not very satisfied. In reflecting this week on Psalm 139, I found a devotional by Kate Bowler, who's a professor at Duke Divinity School. In 2015, at the age of 35, she was diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer. She writes a great deal about how to live with this illness and the difficult balance of the two. She wrote this devotional as she was watching the destruction of Hurricane Harvey in 2017. Bowler highlights that the psalmist sings into the deep antiquity of God's proximity. We have always wondered if we can be forgotten by God, if we can stray so far into darkness that even God cannot see and hold us. We have always belonged to a community of strugglers and doubters who wonder whether God knows our suffering or even cares. Surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, but even the darkness will not be dark to you. What she learned in this course of years of life in reflecting on her illness, Bowler writes, I can live in the space of not knowing why this horrible thing is happening to me and still know I am held somehow loved by God. Old Testament theologian Ellen Davis in her book, Getting Involved with God, points out that the Psalms have language for moments like these in our lives. Davis writes, 
It seems that Israel believed that the kind of prayer in which we need the most fluency is the loud groan and sometimes the only act of faith that is possible for those who suffer is to name our desolation before God. So maybe you might be wondering what happened with me in these chores of taking out the trash. Well, you'll be glad to know that fortunately I enjoyed, I learned to enjoy some of the darkness. I can remember as a young child, some nights my dad would allow me to ride home with him as we drove the babysitter back home. And we'd open the moonroof and I could look out the stars and feel the cool breeze of the evening. Later, when we grew up, we took a trip out into the country and after dinner drove outside the small town where we stayed, pulled off the main road and turned off the lights. You couldn't see a light around and dad had us get out of the car and look up at the stars, which seemed to just beam like never before. The full Milky Way traipsed across the sky. And we saw as if looking at the heavens for the first time. And then later in my life, as I grew up and learned to sneak out of the house and parade around the neighborhood, my friends and I discovered that on a full moon night, the night of the moon, the glow of the moon was so bright that it actually cast a shadow. And we learned to see, even in the dark. Friends, in this time of COVID, we face things we have never faced before. But we do it with one another, and we do it with a God who knows no darkness, but only light. A God who walks in the darkness as it is the noonday sun and invites us to join him and learn to do the same. There are street signs that my neighbors have put up in our neighborhood. And there's two that I pass every day because one is my across the street neighbor and one is in the next block. So driving to and from work or any errands we have to do we pass these signs. And one says, one day at a time. The other says, don't give up. You are not alone. Friends, as we face the darkness of this time, I encourage you that we are never alone, that God is always with us, and he is teaching us to walk in the darkness.